Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And let's face it, all things media is all of our business. It impacts so many different aspects of our lives. When do we buy? What do we buy? How do we vote? It's, it's really important. And so this ongoing series I've been doing with David Dozer has been uh, one of my favorites. I, I really love doing this segment. And uh, I, I learn every time I have him on the program. Um, he is uh, uh, pro- Professor Emeritus from uh, San Diego State University. Um, he has a PhD in communications and uh, has been in, involved in media and teaching people about media uh, for, for years, longer than he probably even wants me to uh, say. <laughs> David, always, always glad to have you on the program. Uh, love the work that we do together. This is that stuff, you know, where I wonder about my my work professionally and what kind of uh, helpfulness it has for humankind. And this is one of those things that I think is helpful. Uh, I think it is helpful for people to get different perspectives on media and to learn how to consume media. And uh, I love this work that we do. Uh, well, same here, and I think it's also critical because I think we've entered a time of uh, of uh, so much questioning of just basic, you know, reality. Uh, what are the facts of the situation? And uh, the degree to which people don't believe news outlets is uh, very, very problematic because we end up with these, uh, you know, tribal beliefs that are not subject to uh, uh, factual correction because they 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 um, are not uh, you know factually based necessarily, and that's um, that's true on both ends of the political spectrum, um, not exclusively. Oh yeah, all over the place. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Samuel Clemens, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Mark Twain, put it best when he said, uh, you know, uh, there's lies, damnable lies, and statistics. <laughs> so right, right. Everyone, everyone takes the information and they distort it and they massage it uh, in a very dishonest way. And again, it's across the entire political spectrum, uh, banking on the ignorance of the people who are reading it and there's a lot of evidence that they're banking properly. Uh, if nefariousness is their objective. And so this is important. Before we get into our topic, and it's a really good one, it's one that we've hit before, but continue to expand on because it is so important and pretty sure we'll be, we'll be hitting this again. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, real quickly about your books and how people can learn more about your work. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I have written a novel. Uh, it's historically based novel on the death penalty in California. It's called The California Killing Field, and uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, you can also go to my website, daviddozierbooks.com. David Dozier, Dozier is spelled D-O-Z-I-E-R, daviddozierbooks.com. And you can learn a little bit more about me and about... Uh, a survey I did in conjunction with uh, writing the novel and uh, also how to access the novel itself and a little bit of a summary of what it's about. Yeah, it's outstanding, and uh, people should be checking that out. Okay, to our topic at hand, you know, we're continuing to look at, you know, the problem of credibility in journalism and, and, uh, you know, what what do they do when they have misinformation and disinformation? And uh, generally speaking, the journalists hold uh, themselves to a different standard than uh, what they hold everyone else, and that's problematic. 
with rare exception. Uh, you know, our last interview, we went into depth about how rarely uh, do they expose themselves in their own poor judgment. And uh, so we're going to keep working on that. We're, we're actually trying to create, um, whether anyone agrees with it, but we're trying to create a model that uh, will help uh, restore some ethics when it comes to journalism. And I think this is part of that process. So with that, set, set the stage for us. Yes, well, um, today we're going to be taking a look at a uh, survey conducted by the Pew Research Center back in June. And uh, it was actually two uh, surveys. One was uh, 12,000 working journalists based in the United States, and then a parallel survey of 10,000 U.S. adults. And just real quickly, the Pew Research Center, real easy to find. Just put it in your search engine. You can read all this stuff for yourself. In the academy, we uh, uh, have high regard for the Pew Research Center because it is vigorously nonpartisan and also very methodologically sophisticated. So if you want to know what's going on, you know, about the abortion issue, for instance, um, uh, it's a great place to go to look at uh, un, uh, unbiased uh, information about what Americans think about it. And so uh, this survey gave us a chance to take a look at the very uh, issues that you just raised, Kevin, um, having to do with what journalists think about themselves, about their own profession, and some of the challenges, and especially today focusing in on uh, misinformation and disinformation and how do journalists feel about it and how good of a job are they doing, and then how do average Americans feel about uh, those same issues and how good of a job do they think uh, uh, news media are doing in terms of dealing with uh, misinformation and disinformation. Yes, absolutely. And uh, by the way, I, I, I love the work of Pew. They have several free uh, newsletters, and we get some of those. And uh, for those who are even more serious, you can buy lots of content. They're, they're phenomenal at what they do. And what I like about them is they piss off everybody at various points, uh, which is a great sign of uh, true uh, uh, you know, honesty in the way yeah, they do things. You must be doing uh, something right if everybody gets um, you know, pissed off yeah. at you. Yeah, they'll, they'll have liberals yelling at them one week and conservatives the next week and uh, everything in between, uh, which, uh, you know, nowadays there's not a whole, whole lot between, uh, in between. <laughs> we live right. in such an extremist world. It's terrifying. So talk a little bit. Kind of give us a, a panoramic overview of the survey of, of the results. Well, it was interesting because, it's the, the, if you will, the, the uh, distance between what journalists say about their work and what the average American says about their work. And I think one of the uh, set of numbers that jumped out at me was 75%, uh, three-quarters of U.S. journalists see audiences that get their news from news outlets that share their existing political views. They see that as a major problem, and a good example of that is uh, if you get all your news from MSNBC, uh, you're going to have a pretty biased worldview because that is very much a liberal advocacy sort of uh, news outlet. By the same token, if you get all your news from Fox News, it's a relatively conservative news outlet, and uh, your views are going to be heavily influenced by uh, that um, that particular take on the news. And, and journalists see that as highly problematic, uh, three uh, out of every four, but only 29% of U.S. adults feel that way. In other words, we're all, uh, the average American is kind of a happy camper. We go to our little uh, tribal uh, campfire and we tell each other our stories that we take to be true, and uh, uh, it, we don't have to uh, uh, we don't have to challenge any of our beliefs. It's 
It uh, gives what's called the confirmation bias, a chance to run rampant. Uh, that's the idea that uh, uh, we we like to get things that confirm things that we already believe. It's, it's, it's annoying yeah. and disconcerting when we find out that something we took to be true is not true. And uh, At least early on. You know, I, you know, my worldview has changed dramatically over the years from people to think, what's the difference between conservative and libertarian? It's pretty vast, really. The longer I go into that, into that past, it, it's pretty vast. And at some point, uh, no pun intending, attended, finding more libertarian thought uh, has been liberating uh, from this uh, kind of lockstep uh, view that I found in conservatism and also see on the hard left. Um, the, the reality is, is the world is very pragmatic, so maybe I should be too. Uh, and I consider libertarianism to be very pragmatic. I want you to continue your thought, but I also want to insert, and this is a topic, we need to have a whole discussion on this. This may be our next show. Uh, you talk about, and everyone talks about Fox News is conservative. Fox News is conservative. But you know what? It's Charles Lindbergh, xenophobic conservative. Not Ronald Reagan, forward-thinking, we can, you know, positive. And don't get me wrong, there was things wrong with Reagan. But Reagan had a half-full half worldview. And that's been modern conservatism really since the late 70s. And what we're seeing is very much like the conservatives that meandered uh, the U.S. until World War II. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that uh, uh, we sort of use umbrella terms. Uh, uh, for instance, I, for ease of conversation, I refer to myself as a liberal, but I'm really more of a progressive. And uh, there's a lot of things that uh, liberals uh, uh, take as a good thing that, you know, having worked in government for, you know, 47 years, uh, excuse me, 37 years uh, uh, at San Diego State and then other government-related programs before that, uh, I can say that, well, you know, uh, if you want to get something done inefficiently, have the government do it. Well, that doesn't sound very <laughs> liberal, uh, but uh, a progressive is defined more by uh, other aspects, just as a libertarian has other aspects that overlap in some areas with what, uh, you know, traditional conservatives think, but in other areas they're really quite uh, quite different. So I very think different. one of our problems is that we have this notion of a, a continuum from liberal to conservative, and in fact it's more like a, you know, imagine a, a cluster diagram with all kinds of little tiny circles all over it with different belief systems or organized around different issues in different ways. And, uh, and that creates the, you know, wrapping back to this uh, survey of journalists and Americans, uh, that ends up being quite the uh, quite the tension because, on the one hand, uh, there's a strive in objective journalism to strike balance, try to tell both sides of the story, uh, anything that's conflictual. Uh, uh, but at the same time, there's also uh, the challenge of dealing with misinformation. So if one side of the story is basically disinformation, and uh, I'll annoy some of your audience members, uh, uh, the uh, big lie, the fact that, uh, or the assertion that uh, 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 Joe Biden stole the presidential election, the 2020 election from Donald Trump. That's simply not true by any reasonable definition. By any. By yeah, and and so journalists have been routinely when they report the claims of some people that the election was stolen, they say, well, it's just it's not true. Uh, and I happen to think that that's a step that that's responsible journalism. But you can see that if you are one of the folks that believe that the election was stolen, well, then that means that 
this news outlet is uh, is biased because uh, they're basically calling the ex-president a liar, uh, and, right. uh, which in fact they, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and and, and I, I uh, here's another problem, right, with nuance. Uh, and, and and again, you know, it terrifies me that the only TV conservative network is one that's xenophobic and driven more by um, Charles Lindbergh's view. And everyone, Charles Lindbergh, he's a hero. Look at what he believed. I mean, uh, it's really disturbing. When he, you know, he was, you know, traveling around with Nazis and and really embracing that that worldview. But even in this situation, so what I hear out there, uh, that what you just talked about, David, I totally agree. It's insane to think that this election was stolen. You wanted to talk about Richard Nixon versus John F. Kennedy? Probably stolen. You want to yeah. talk about El Gore versus uh, George uh, George Bush? Probably stolen. But there's nothing even remotely to make you think that. But here's part of the problem. So it's all on the on the left. It was a great election, probably the cleanest ever. Let's face it, that has never existed. And I have looked at evidence at Michigan that was pretty profound that may have actually turned the state. But guess what? That would not have changed the election results. There's right. always corruption. There's always vote stealing, but you know, but it's rarely, rarely to the extent that it completely turns the results of an election. And uh, you know, and, and it's so fascinating to watch that all the people who are saying I'm not going to work again for another election are people who are the same people that uh, the Trump crowd and the Republicans need if they want to be successful. I don't see any Democrats throwing in the towel because of the big lie, and it is a big lie. Uh, you know, I said back in 2016 that Trump hated Republicans, and one of his goals was to destroy it. Now, I, I didn't have evidence, and I, you know, other than the fact he was never a Republican and spent more money on Democrats than any Republican throughout his uh, adult life. But his positions on abortion, uh, wow, we'll talk about a 180. His positions yeah. on uh, socialized medicine, as he would have called it, you know, uh, as conservatives like to call it, he was totally anti, uh, uh, I mean, totally pro-government uh, health care expansion. You know, and, and there's nothing Republican about him in his record. He is destroying the Republican Party, and he's like yeah. a bad drug that he's hard to get rid of. Um, and so this may make you think, hmm, it may not piss off his audience if he says stuff like this. But that's, that's honestly how I feel. And I'm yeah. sorry for the insertions. You say so much that I want to comment on that, you know, we might have to do a two-parter on this, which is perfectly fine. But anyway, yeah. go ahead and continue. I had to, had to insert those two things there. Well, I, you know, as as we look at uh, as we look at the results of the two surveys, I think we're uh, really struck by how much um, things have shifted since 2016, uh, and uh, uh, former President Trump uh, is the uh, the catalyst for a lot of that change. You know, the, uh, all the, if you will, things that are seen as problematic in the Republican Party by people on the left uh, didn't start with uh, Donald Trump, but he certainly catalyzed. A lot of the the worst things that were going on in the Republican Party, uh, including white nationalism, and I'm you know I'm Caucasian, so these are my people. Um, 
So I think that what you're seeing now is this tension where journalists want to do a good job. Um, they put a lot of energy into their work. They're very passionate about um, trying to do a good job. Uh, at the same time, um, yeah, they feel like they have to give coverage to both sides of the story, uh, even when they know one of them is you know, you know, pretty suspect in terms of truth. Uh, but they don't feel like they have to give equal coverage to both, uh, you know, the old uh, 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 equal time provision that uh, the broadcasting industry suffered under for so many years. Um, they don't feel that, that kind of obligation, but they do feel a need to at least give the other side a chance to speak. The problem with right. that is it assumes that there's only two sides to every story. And, in fact, most stories have multiple points of view. And when you say that, okay, we've done two sides, we're done, um, that's not very good reporting either. Right. And, uh, and that's, that really right there, uh, I didn't know you were coming to that point. But that pretty much is the essence of all of my responses right there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's so much more complicated than that. And that's the problem is that you've got people who, uh, first of all, were raised or gathered or something happened uh, where they acquired a different, uh, you know, one worldview. I was raised by uh, a Labor Party UK mom and a Roosevelt Democrat dad. Uh, and uh, so that somehow made me a right winger. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I <laughs> that is that, how I rebelled, right? And you look yeah, at the hippie movement of the of the sixties. Probably all of them were raised by Eisenhower dads, right? Uh, a whole yeah. lot of those, and a lot of affluence, yeah. and you know, yeah, and, my, and you have that reaction. Yeah, I have the the, the same kind of cross connections too. My dad was on the uh, Republican Central Committee for Madera County in the Central Valley. Uh, my mom's uh, brother was a career Navy pilot, so my mom uh, was. Uh, you know, kind of a military, you know, Republican, you know, uh, not not ideologically so much, but uh, Republicans were good for the military, good for the budget. So she voted with her brother on that. So I was raised by two Republican parents. So I think both of both pairs of parents are probably wondering what the hell happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know my parents did. And so uh, and so that that is part of the uh, part of the narrative. But it's so much different now. And just, you know, I think when I got involved in politics, my very first campaign was a campaign coordinator at the ripe age of 18 for students for Reagan. Uh, and where, uh, you know, how different uh, Reagan with all of the problems that they had. And, and I think the media really demonized him. You know, I, I honestly do. And I think when, when a lot of well-meaning people looked at a Reagan and go, wow, they're going to demonize him. Why, why even be polite? in our beliefs. I think the media's uh, reactions to a lot of these people uh, has pushed them more towards them, the, the, I mean, the radicalization of our country. I think a lot of that has been prodded by a media that actually acts as though it knows what's best for us. And that is part of the problem. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the uh, you have to be, uh, 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 when you start saying, I know what's going on, you, uh, you need to dial that back. Um, none of us have a, a clear notion of what's going on. Um, a kind of a corollary issue here, and you, we've talked about this before, Kevin, the problem of information that uh, in its original source was identified as opinion or editorial content, uh, when it gets picked up on social media or Yahoo, you know, bundles it, um, a lot of the identification of opinion disappears and all of a sudden this is news. 
and you start reading it, and you go, wait a minute, this is an opinion piece. This isn't uh, this isn't reporting news. Uh, and I think that what's happened, and one of the concerns uh, is that everything ends up in this big uh, big pool of information where things are not being um, identified appropriately, uh, and uh, because things get passed along, social media is great for that. That things get stripped of their um, uh, context, they get stripped of their identification as, as you know, a news analysis or opinion editorial, and everybody saying, "Well, this is supposed to be news, but it's, but it's, it's not. Uh, it didn't in its original form it didn't even pretend to be, you know, hard or objective news." And as a consequence, uh, the the opinion of media news media in general uh, goes down the toilet because everybody says well they're just they're just picking sides and they're not giving us the full story so i think there's a whole lot of factors that are going on that uh makes things worse and just as uh, as one passing notes about 67% of journalists say that uh, uh social media has been really bad for journalism it's just really created so many opportunities for misinformation and disinformation and you know, misinformation and disinformation flies at the speed of light, and the truth crawls. And so it takes a long time to correct uh, misstatements, and I think President Trump uh, uh, made a, a career out of that as president because he was so quick to share uh, stories that were not based on any uh, any factual framework. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it was much more. It, it, it reminded me a lot of Joseph Joseph Goebbels, right? Uh, uh, the uh, propaganda minister for uh, for the Nazi Party, where he he loved the expression. There's two words he said all the time: lying media, lying media. You know, and uh, you know the, he Trump can't say anything without words like that. Language, yeah. fake news, right? Fake news is the modern lying media. And, uh, you know, and I would really love it if uh, we just had a very honest view about objectivity in the media. I, I've come to the conclusion that it doesn't really exist at all. It's pretty much non-existent. Uh, there's not enough space in an article. There's not enough time for a person to consume information to get objectivity. Um, and so, uh, in anything, we even talk about Associated Press, which is head and shoulders above everyone else when it comes to facts, simply because they have to be. Uh, they're economically driven that way with, with uh, news media outlets from the far left to the far right subscribing to their services, and so they, can't, they really can't have access to drive. But even with that, it is ethnocentric. It's all about the United States. It can't ultimately, you know, they're having to have to weigh a position uh, where uh, if they go too strong, uh, you know, anti-U.S., regardless of that's true, that, that could have a big impact on their bottom line. So even that, there is no, no true objectivity. So what is the requirement for us as individuals to do a lot of different reading with a lot of different worldviews and to come up with logical inclusions buttressed with the idea that we're never going to be completely right, which allows us to live together as a nation and not be like Georgetown University survey says where 75% of Americans think we're going to go into a civil war. Uh, that, that's what happens when everyone operates with the belief that they are right. Yeah. Period. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that the challenge and, uh, I, I try to make it a, a habit. Uh, I've had, uh, uh, believe it or not, Kevin, I have uh, two close uh, friends uh, that are 
Republicans, uh, they uh, have sort of left the party now, but it's temporary. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, a direct result of uh, former President Trump. But, you know, we talk about stuff, and their views are very, very conservative on a lot of issues. And uh, But it's interesting for me, and I hope interesting for them, to talk about, well, where do our perspectives come from? Why do we think that's true? And uh, I do think that the idea of dialogue, the way you and I, you know, again, different ends of the political spectrum, but, you know, I'm looking back at what we've done. This is our 17th uh, episode, and I can't think of a single argument we've had on a substantive issue um, because it's basically a matter of trying to respect a different point of view. And I think that's one of the things that's missing right now. We all huddled around our tribal campfire talking to people that agree with us, and as a consequence, um, uh, uh, we lose the ability to talk to people around the other campfires, and that's not good. Yeah, not at all. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And and plus, the primary focus is on the First Amendment and free speech, which, you know, it, it's only everything uh, for a free society. Everything hinges on that. And uh, both the left and the right, or, you know, the Republicans and Democrats can't even agree on the name of a post office. But, boy, they are both anti-free speech. They just have different bents. That's the only thing that prevents us from trashing the First Amendment. Uh, unfortunately, you can dislike the Supreme Court all you want. There's things about it I certainly dislike. But good luck trashing the First Amendment with this Supreme Court. Right, right. Uh, well, that's, so that, that's key, because if you lose uh, the uh, you know freedom of press and freedom of speech, then um, – then all everything else goes down the toilet. I think you put it exactly right. This is the foundation of a democracy, and uh, without it, um, you don't have democracy. Yeah, I really. I, there's a part of me that wishes that they would go gun ho crazy pa- to pass a bunch of anti-free speech legislation that's just crazy uh, for the Supremes to overturn it and put that to rest for at least decades. There's right. a part of me, you know, uh, and I think one of the reasons why you don't see more effort in that is because of the fact they know it won't make it to the Supreme Court. And so there's almost a benefit to complain rather than act. We are going over as usual, always do, because we always have fun. Final thoughts from you, though. Uh, Well, this has been a great conversation, and like you said, uh, 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 to be continued. Yes, yes. And I do want to have a conversation about Fox and how it was a Reagan-esque type media with all the problems with that. Yes, there was problems with that. You know what? We weren't going to civil war under Reagan uh, to the uh, xenophobic, uh, unbelievably ethnocentric um, world, you know, situation that we have with Fox News. It's not the conservatism that made uh, conservatism popular. That's, you know, long-term popular. Uh, and so that uh, that will be a good topic, and it does relate to media. All right, David Dozer, he's one of my favorites, uh, a great friend of the show and a great friend of me. Who says I can't have friends that are progressives? David, always good to talk to you, buddy. <laughs> great talking to you, Kevin. Thanks much. You bet. I-, I am Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.